Thank you, Lord. Thank you, band. Wasn't that great? Yay! They were awesome. Well, this is a special, special day for me because some dear, dear friends are here to share with us, to bless us, and to encourage us. Moses and Sarah are amazing leaders in Uganda on the continent of Africa. It is a rare, rare thing for us in the West to be in the presence of people who are leading a kingdom movement that is bringing revival to their nation. And so it's a special, special privilege for us today that Moses is gonna speak to us and that we're just in the presence of Sarah. We're just glad that she's here. So we're grateful for them. I'd love you to extend your hands towards them as I pray a prayer of welcome and blessing. Lord, you say, according to the measure we have given, it is returned to us, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Say that, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Say it, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Lord, that is the prayer of our hearts for this dear brother and sister. And Lord, we ask you that at the end of this time when you bless us by giving to us what it is that you've sent them to share with us, I pray, Lord, that they would know that they're even more blessed than the blessing they brought. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Bless you, brother. Go for it. morning apex good morning it's a beautiful time to be here thanks so much mike and sally for being wonderful uh friends and spiritual parents to us because through your ministry and work we've seen god do amazing amazing things in our lives and in our ministry back home in uganda my name is Moses, and I'm from the great nation of Uganda, which uh, Winston Churchill called the Pearl of Africa. <clears throat> so I've been hearing from many of you how you've been to Africa, and you, you didn't go to Uganda. So you have all, like, sort of been. <laughs> you, you haven't <laughs> really been. So this is an invitation for you to come and visit us and enjoy the warmth the food, the laughter, the joy. We are very happy, Lord. I hope you can handle it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and what God is doing. Amen. So when Mike asked me to share something, I was like, oh my goodness. You know, when you're invited to your mentor's church and then you're asked to share, your, your brain just starts to freeze almost. Uh, the snow doesn't make it any better. But I've got to try. <laughs> so I want us to talk about serving. And it's great we had a great story about serving. Because I'm convinced that the only people who are growing are the ones who are serving. We've been pastors for 19 17 years now, 
I keep mixing up the pastoring and the marriage. <coughs> We've been married 19 years, been pastors 17 years, and I like to tell people, because we are all human beings, and you know one of the things that as human beings we struggle with is pride. So I keep telling people, if you want to deal with your pride, do one of two things. One, get married. That, that will sort you properly. All right? Yeah. And secondly, plant a church. <laughs> and if you do both, <laughs> I'll be praying for you. So, <laughs> so that's what we did. We got married, and then two, later, two years later, we planted a church. And through these years, it's been a joy to see people's lives radically transformed. Uh, the church we lead, we plant churches, we plant like campuses. And right now, there are about 85 campuses. Smaller than this, I mean. But, yeah, all over, spread in about five countries with about 25,000 people. And we've seen God do amazing things. Now, one of the other things that you see when you stay in the ministry a little bit is what happens to people over a long time. And what we've seen is that the people, some of whom we held in very high regard, who were our spiritual leaders, people we looked up to, but along the way, the people who stopped serving for whatever reason, also their faith goes the wrong direction. And so it's been a painful experience seeing people that you looked up to start living in a way that doesn't show they are still following Jesus and walking with Jesus. And I've come to this realization for me that it's really the serving bit. Like if you, if you remain serving, if you commit to serving Christ, whether that's inside the church you know, like serving on a team or serving in the community where you are or serving as a part of a, a community on mission and all of that, you know, you will keep growing. You will keep growing. And I've seen that happen for a long time. Now, there's a, a great man called William Booth. He was the leader and the founder of the Salvation Army with his wife. And a story is told of one time there was a huge meeting that they called for, for the Salvation Army, way back then, you know. It was a very evangelistic kind of movement. And so they were all waiting for a message from William Booth, and he sent them a message. I think it was a telegram or something like that. And the message was one word, others. So they were all wondering. We've gathered here in our thousands waiting for great communication from our leader and he has sent a letter with one word. And what was the word? Others. And I'm convinced that until our lives are about others, our faith always somehow doesn't get its full expression. Now, I'm going to use one more illustration, maybe. Oh, I should have checked my time. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to use one more illustration so that 
in case you're tempted to, to doze off in this kind of weather, which is unique, <coughs> you'll still have got the point. And then we'll get into the text. Is that okay? I need three courageous volunteers, like three people who don't fear coming up here to, to, to preach with me. Just come, just come. Yeah, let's celebrate the courageous ones. I have, I have two, I have two, I need a third one. Yay, come on now. I like it. Now you know actually, if you can clap for real. The hands, if you try it out, they won't hurt. So let's try that. Let's clap for them. Thank you. Now, I don't know all of you, so I'm going to take my bet on uh, who doesn't mind playing the role of a non-believer. <laughs> who, who doesn't mind? You, okay, all of them don't mind. So we'll, we'll, I'll take uh, four. So let's say you're out here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know God, you, you don't care. And you, you are not a believer in Jesus. All right? Now, you may want to know that today the world has 8 billion people. And the last time I checked, they said the Christians were about 2.3 billion. And that includes everyone. Yeah. Those you agree with and especially those you don't agree with. <coughs> they are all in that basket. So, a lot. Yeah, that includes those who come to worship, lift their hands, read their Bibles. It also includes those who only go for funerals and they have, uh, you know, then the next day they're in a gunfight somewhere trying to trade something. <laughs> All of them. 2.3 billion. So if, you, if, if we're to be generous and say, those who have made a, com a, a, a personal commitment to follow Jesus, I don't think there would be more than a billion. Okay? So, all these are one billion out of eight. So, she represents seven billion. That should get us thinking. When we are in church and enjoying Jesus, there is seven billion lost people who don't have what you have who don't have the counsel of the Holy Spirit, who don't have the joy, who don't have the fellowship that you have. Seven billion. That's a lot of people. Now, if the world were a hundred people, 60 of them would live in Asia. Asia, 60%. Now, of course, when you're from America, America seems to be the whole world. In fact, you have the World Series between American teams. <coughs> so this may come as a shock to you to realize that 60% of other people live in Asia. And in fact, only about 3% of the people live in the USA. So, you have a lot of influence on the small population. So, that comes with responsibility, right? But 
here is 60%. And often when I'm having conversations with my pastor friends, I keep asking, we kid each other and say, when are you planting in Asia? When are you planting churches in Asia? And no one has plans to plant in Asia. Now, that's a bit like going into an exam and you're planning not to answer 60% of the questions, but somehow miraculously expect to pass. How does that work? Yeah, you're like, I know 60% of the questions I'm not even going to attempt. But Lord, help. Even the Lord is figuring out how to help. And even now, I think he also needs someone to help, which is not true theologically. So, always remember, whatever you like about other Christians, about other churches, about this church, about whatever it is, that seven out of eight people don't know Jesus. And 60% are in Asia. They're not even in Africa. And Africa, we are growing, but we have to admit Asia. There are some countries where there's only 2% Christians. So, as you think about others and serving. So, here, uh, here is the majority of the world. Then you have another category. It's those who have come to Christ. Yay! Any people here who have come to Christ? Yeah, that usually comes with a lot of joy, noise, boldness, etc. You know, at least my reading of the scripture tells me that. All right. So that's this combination. These are the brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the sisters in Christ. These are the people who have embraced the truth of the gospel. Right? Now, in the Old Testament... The typology used is Israel, sort of, is what represents the church. All right? So, this would be the people who are still in Egypt, the ones who never made it out. They're still under Pharaoh's rule. So, that is the seven out of eight, the seven billion something. Am I making sense? And by the way, you can always do this survey in your, I'm giving you the global one, but you can do for your town, you can do for your extended family, you can do for your immediate family, you can do for your office, you can do for your neighborhood, and you'll find that there are a lot of people over here. And we cannot pass Jesus' commission of reaching the whole world with the gospel if we ignore eight out of seven. It doesn't work. But, praise God, we have here, oh, we can have fellowship, we can trust each other, we can look at each other, no, yay. Now, these are the people who, so, sister, you're in, just stay familiar, this is Egypt, Pharaoh, ETC. Now, these ones, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've moved into this side, it is, you know, miracles, they walked on, on dry ground, uh, cloud by day to cover them, fire by night, abundance of food. Yeah, the food comes in every morning on, you know, heaven's Amazon type of thing. <laughs> Everything is provided. You know, the scriptures say that their clothes never grew old. Can you imagine that? 
Have you ever, have you ever imagined that, that you can buy that nice, you know, shirt or whatever it is, and it doesn't grow old? And their shoes never wore out. So, in other words, they never lacked anything. They never lacked anything. But you know what? They were in something called the wilderness. When you talk about the wilderness, it sounds like a bad place. But the wilderness was a pretty good place. There was abundance of everything. And you are with the brethren. They were, you know, Israelites with Israelites. They are just arranged. Judah is camped that side. Uh, Reuben is camped that side. But you're surrounded by your brethren. And it's all about the celebrations, the festivals, the sacrifices, the priests. Ah, good times. Good times. Now, there's only one problem. They were not called to that. They were not called to that. They were called, so this is category two. You're enjoying the wilderness. Mm. Good stuff. It's pretty good. You have Moses, Aaron. You know, everything is, is cool. Now, the, but you are not called to the wilderness. There's only one problem. You are called to the land of promise. So, so in, in case you're thinking, who are the leaders in these categories? This would be Pharaoh is still ruling these ones. Now, this is my namesake, Moses. He's over the wilderness crow. And then he handed over to Joshua. This is the Joshua generation. Their call is to take over the land of promise. And you know, the land of promise involves war. It's battle. Swords, blood, military training, espionage. Huh? And all that stuff. And you know, it was such a hectic time taking the land of promise that it took all the way to the, to the generation of David to eventually subdue all the people they were supposed to subdue to take over that land. Those are many generations of leaders to get the job done. These are the ones. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? He says in Exodus 8.1, he says, the Lord said to Moses, say unto Pharaoh, the Lord said unto Moses, say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. They were supposed to serve him over here in the land of promise in fulfilling his promise to Abraham that he would give his children that land. Is it making sense? So as we go through today's talk, I want you to be thinking about three categories. Egypt, wilderness Christians who are very happy in church with the brethren and lots of miracles, and of course, complaints. Ha, ha, ha. Ask Moses why he didn't make it. They frustrated him into making a mistake until he didn't make it. 
Sometimes church can be like that. And then of course, I can get away with saying all of this because I'll be gone tomorrow and I'll be praying for Mike. <laughs> and of course, you guys say, it wasn't me, you know. This is a guy's email address. Talk to him if you want. I'm available. So <laughs> this is where a lot of Christians are. Just wilderness Christianity. Because we are not territory takers. We have not shown up in a town and after two, three, four, five years of living there, you can tell how many people have come to Christ and are serving God. We have not shown up in a classroom, in an office, in a home, in an environment with the mindset of I'm here to bring the kingdom of heaven. Those are the territory takers. Now, can, I, can we celebrate these wonderful people? Because we are all territory takers, because you're helping me explain this. Thank you so much. You can have your seats. So, territory takers. The Bible says that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. Was Jesus a Pharaoh guy? Was he a wilderness guy? He was a territory taker. Imagine. The man showed up here 2,000 years ago and now he has two, 2 billion followers. And we are to be conformed to his image. But there's a story in Matthew chapter 16, if we, can read, if we can read together. I want us to see how Jesus, in a conversation with one of his disciples, makes this point so clearly. Right? So Matthew 16, 13. Now, where I come from, we read together. That's why it's up on the screen. So, you think we can read together here today? Okay, let's go. One, two, three. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? All right? Now, hey, oh, we are using different versions. Okay, I, I need to stick to this one. Yeah, yeah. Who do people say that the Son of Man is who do people say I am? And you know, it's interesting that he uses the term son of man. Because, because for us, because with, with all the scholarship that has gone for 2,000 years and a lot of prior knowledge, we know that Jesus was the son of God. We also know that he was the son of man, right? But over here, he's specifically referring to himself in his sort of human aspect, the son of man. Makes sense. Verse 14, so they said, uh -huh. they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He's like, that's the word out on the street. But some people think you are John the Baptist, you know, you were, they cut off your head and you came back. Wow. Some people say you are Elijah. I mean, Elijah. Man had been dead for a long time. But that just shows you how extraordinary Jesus was that people are saying this one is the other one who will read about. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, in today's world, everyone 
is trying to squeeze Jesus into some place. There's a whole faith for whom, for them, Jesus is a prophet. They are willing to take that. They are like, we can't deny this Jesus person and all his miracles and his extraordinary life, but as far as we are concerned, he's one of the prophets. Others say he's a great leader. Other people have said, I'm going to take all the leadership lessons I can take from Jesus because he was an amazing leader. So, there you are. For others, he's a leader. Others think he's a guru. You know, like some sort of spiritual, deep guy who just, you know, lived a simple life but loved people. He's some sort of guru. And that's another category of people. Depend, you know, which everywhere you go, there will be different ways people are willing to embrace Jesus. They're like, yeah, yeah. The, the rich young ruler called him a good teacher. Good teacher. So for some people, he's a good teacher. And of course, people are entitled to their opinions. But as a follower of Jesus, as these people, he turned to them and said, Okay, that's what everyone says I am, but how about you? Who do you say that I am? Let's forget other people's ideas of who I am. I want to know what you say. Who do you say I am? Right? That's always a challenge. Even when you've been in Christ for many years, even when you've been a pastor, like I have, you run into moments of your faith being shaken up with questions where you have to say, okay, you are the Christ. Because, you know, COVID revealed to us that the collective faith maybe didn't work for some. Because a lot of people, they couldn't endure that trial. That's when they turned away because maybe they were going with who everyone says Jesus is, but not who do you say I am. And that, that usually comes in the midst of trial. Because, you know, it's funny how parties are collective, but trials are individual. Yeah, you can go to a party. With a, do you know you can't have a party alone? It's very difficult. Yeah, like you hire a DJ and get someone to, to roast some, what do they like here in, in, in Ohio? I've, I've, I've tasted very interesting, nice food here. You know, make you some uh, chili soup. Huh? Yeah, they're like, DJ, turn up the music. By yourself, it doesn't work. Parties only work in groups. But trials, trials, they don't come in groups. Yeah, when you go to the doctor, when you're feeling something in your body, you don't go with all your party mates. You show up alone and enter the doctor's room and then he starts giving you some not so good news. And you're like, where is all my party people? Oh, yeah. Well, when the IRS sends you that email, 
<laughs> they don't send to the whole group. It comes to your inbox. Investigation. Oh my goodness. What's going on here? Your accountant sends you that message. Uh, you know, for those of you who are business people, our five, our, we are overextended. Yeah, our credit facility is now overextended. We don't know whether we can recover. Oh my goodness. Oh, when you are, you've been working on that marriage, then you work on it some more. Then you work on it some more. And when you feel like, I'm out of energy to work on this marriage. And then the other person says, I'm also out of energy. I'm going my way. And you're wondering, where are all the people who attended the wedding? The wedding has guests. The divorce is between two. Oh, life can throw you lemons. And I don't know whether the lemons in America are sour as the ones back in Uganda. But he asks Peter, who do you say? He asks the group. Okay, you guys, people say that. But who do you say I am? Because it's now going to be critical. Who do you think I am? Yeah, the good times are about to be challenged. And you know, we use this text a lot if you have been anywhere near Mike Brain. You know that this is the text for invitation and challenge. Because he's about to tell them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter says, not on my watch. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You should take some time before you call one of your disciples, Satan. Yeah, if possible, not ever. Unless you're Jesus. <laughs> so he says, but who do you say? And Peter, good old Peter, what does he say? He answers. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Other versions say the Christ. It's the same thing. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Do you know that that's a confession of faith that makes you a Christian, a real one? When, after all, you say, Lord, I believe you. Not as a prophet. Not as just a creator. Not as a provider. Not as a miracle worker. Not as a teacher. Not as a guru. As the son of God. For those who believed him, those who received him, he gave the right to also become children of God. That is the message of the gospel. That when we receive him as the son of God, he gives us the right to become the sons of God. The children of God. Sons and daughters of God. Amen. Amen, y'all. Now, that's not the end of the story. So, um, uh, you're probably wondering, the stuff he said about Egypt, etc. is this like three different summons? No. I'm bringing it home. Don't worry. So, he says... You're the Christ. You're the son of God. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to him. Let's go to verse 17. Jesus replied. Uh-huh. What did he say? Let's read together. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This is a revelation. I like to tell people God is not researched, he's revealed. God stubbornly refuses to be anything else but believed. Yeah, God says, you will come to me by faith. Finish all your other things, but when you're ready for faith, I'm here. For whatever reason. It's a very humbling thing. You know salvation is for the humble. Bible says he beautifies the humble with salvation. Salvation doesn't work for proud people. When you're like, God, I want you to first tell me this, 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 then I'll talk to you. Maybe he will, but in my experience, he hasn't. He says, if you can humble yourself, let's talk because I'm willing to reveal myself to you and give you a life you can never have outside of me. So that's what, that's, that's, so Jesus tells Peter, okay, this is Moses' version. Oh my God, Peter, who taught you that? How did you figure it out? You're not that smart. Must be my daddy who told you. Yeah. And then he tells him something really important in the next verse. Verse 18, this is where I wanted us to get to. And I tell you, that you are Peter. He changes his name from Simon. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's the thing. I call it the reciprocation. So this is Peter telling Jesus, you are the... Messiah is a bit long. Can I use Christ? Because I want to put it into some sort of, you know, chant. Huh? So you're the Christ. And this one says, you're the rock. Uh, you're the Christ. You're the rock. You're the Christ. You're the rock. You're the Christ. You're the rock. It's this thing going on. <coughs> Between Peter and Jesus. He's like, the moment you catch the revelation and, uh, and acknowledge me as the son of God, my response is, I will build my church on you. I will build my church on your faith. I will build my church on your confession. And he says, and I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. He says the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Now there's a whole theological depth about all of that, which I'm not so much of a theologian, so I'm not going to go into that. I'm a practitioner. I want to go to the practical side, which is, why does it seem sometimes like the gates of hell are prevailing? Why does it seem sometimes like the church is being squeezed into a corner while other agendas take over society and culture. Do you know why? Because we came from Pharaoh. We came under Moses. We are enjoying the spiritual experience, but we are not willing to take territory. We are not willing to be people on whom he can build the church. Peter himself says in First Peter, it must be 2.13 that we are living stones. You see, he's using the same picture. 
that Jesus told him, you are, you are no longer just Simon, the son of Jonah. You are now a stone. You are a rock. And he's the one who says, we are all, not only, it's, only, it's not only Peter. It's all of us who have come to Christ. We are all living stones being built up into a temple. A wonderful the body of Christ. And it can't happen when we relegate the ministry to a few people and say, hey, hey Mike, you're the pastor. Get the job done. Here is some tithe. Hire some staff. Get the job done on our behalf. It's like we hire pastors to be professional Christians on our behalf. We've taken this whole football, baseball, basketball thing into church where we are club members. We support, unfortunately, Dayton doesn't seem to have a, a well-known big team. I don't know whether, but, you know, whichever one you support, I'm sorry. So we support this big, you know, someone was telling me in Cincinnati there is one. Uh, that, that they've been doing badly for 30 years and suddenly there's a resurrection of sorts. Cincinnati Bengals, is that? Yeah. So we, we support the Bengals, we wear the shirts, we show up to the games, we shout, but we don't play. And we think that's church. We think church is the same thing. Cheer on Mike. Come on, Mike. Cheer on the worship team. Cheer on the children's church workers. Cheer on the staff. Cheer on the community on mission group leaders without participating. Do you know you can never be fit watching fit people play? You may feel like it even as you keep going to the fridge to get more drinks and watching the game and because there's so much activity on the screen you think that that activity is also in your body. It's not there. It doesn't work like that. And that's what's happening. We have a lot of unfit people in the church because they came to Christ, but they are not willing to be Peters, to be rocks, to be living stones with which he can build his church. And this morning, I want to invite you to make a courageous decision to say that the day you walk into heaven, there should be people lining up saying, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of you. I'm here because you converted from just being a Simon, son of Jonah, who follows Jesus around, to being a rock on which he can build. You converted from being a wilderness Christian who is enjoying manna and quails and clothes and miracles and the presence of God and the brethren to entering the wilderness, taking territory for the kingdom. And may God do it in your heart and in your life. And in case you're proposing to ignore my message, may God deny you sleep, comfort, and all kinds of things. And may this thing be like a worm in your brain until you do something about it. Like signing up to serve on a team or starting a community on mission or something like that because none of my words shall fall to the ground. They will haunt you until you start serving in a good way, sort of. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> thank you so much. Amen. Thank you.
<laughs> All right. Well.